Hi, I'm Allison Hare, a former corporate sales executive on a quest to live, work, and play in full alignment and helping you live the life of your dreams as well. Welcome to the Late Learner Podcast, where we break down some old conventional methods, and we're going to learn about new ones that just plain work better for you. So what are we late learning today? Well, today is a battle royale between extroverts versus introverts. While this may seem like a trivial topic, it's actually a masterclass on how to understand and communicate with each other without feeling attacked or having your feelings hurt all the time or just feeling misunderstood. Studies show that actually more than 51% of people are technically ambiverts, which is a combination of both. But let's go with whatever camp feels more true to you. Have you wondered why extroverts want to talk on the phone all the time? Are extroverts annoying to introverts? What happens when your partner is the opposite of you, where of where you get your energy from? So let's balance the scales out a bit. I am, I don't know, very obviously an extrovert. And my guest today is the Late Learner Podcast fan favorite, Cindy Robinson, the brilliant parent and teen coach. And she almost breaks the scale on her level of introvertism. So we are tackling some crowdsource questions. And you're going to leave today with a totally different perspective than you have before. Guaranteed. And before we get into our introvert versus extrovert chat, it's time for the good stuff. What is stuff? It is the surprisingly true, useful, fun fact. And this one surprised me. Research from the University of Kent in the UK and Tufts University in the US say that one third of natural born US citizens are thinking about living abroad but not for the reason why you might think. Where did your mind go? People are looking to live abroad. These studies showed that the incentive to leave had no correlation to their political affiliation. Not going to lie here, that was my first thought, but truly the desire to explore the world. If you were to leave your country to live abroad, where would you choose? I know for me, it's probably super cliche, but... I would say Italy. I mean, the bread. Oh, what about you? Well, here is our battle royale with Cindy Robinson between extroverts versus introverts. This is so exciting. Cindy Robinson is back. Fan favorite. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about today. Today's going to be such a fun topic. And the reason why, because we've, we've, we've tackled some really deep stuff on this podcast. Today, we are going head to head. I am pretty obvious extrovert. You are very introverted. (laughs) (laughs) And so we are going to kind of dismantle or at least, I don't know if it's go head to head, but like try and understand each other better and see, I think there are just so many misconceptions about introversion, extroversion, and then layered on top of that are just idiosyncrasies, quirks, things that make you unique, things that make me unique, and you know, the society at large. And maybe somewhere for a listener, you're going to hear something that relates and something that helps you understand the people around you and how you operate, right? That's the hope. Yeah. So let's talk about 
you as an introvert. So if you're on a spectrum of introversion, <laughs> where would you consider yourself? I would say I'm pretty far on the end of introverted. I wouldn't go like full like hermit level. <laughs> I do leave my house. But um, no, most of my energy is replenished in solitude or in very calm and quiet spaces. So that's how I get energy. So I would say I'm, I'm pretty, pretty darn introverted. What about you on the extroverted spectrum? I would say if, it, if it's a scale of one to 10, I'm probably an eight. And I wonder, is anybody really all the way on one side or the other? You know, the people that can't help but strike, strike up a conversation on the plane and I'm like, I can't, you know, like <laughs> some days I'm in the mood for it, but most of the time I'm not. But, you know, you see those people. It's like the stereotype of an extrovert is somebody that is talking to everybody. They're pleasant. They're happy. They're affable. And it is so celebrated in the U.S. especially to be extroverted. And I think on the flip side, there are negative stereotypes or misunderstandings of introversion, which I think are important to dismantle. Don't you think? Yes, I hope to kind of represent for, <laughs> for my introverts, because I am coming to a realization that there's no good or bad, there's just different. And so yeah, I would like to kind of debunk some of the myths or stand up for my introvert pals about a few things. So I'm wondering about you growing up as a kid, right? Like what did introversion look like for you, let's say in high school? Totally masked. <laughs> so so you mm. wouldn't have known I was an introvert in high school. I definitely was an expert at masking. I had a master class my whole childhood in how to regulate people's moods. And I think I learned pretty early on that people are more regulated by an an extrovert. They're more regulated by a very social, very emotionally responsive person. What does that mean? Um, just I learned, uh, you know, through my caregivers and, and other people in my life that they preferred me to be extroverted. Um, mm -hmm. And they, they kind of punished anything that was perceived as shyness. A lot of my family members were hardcore introverts. I mean, pretty extreme introverts. But I think because I had more uh, of a social ability, like I was able to, because to, I'm not shy, I'm introverted. I was kind of made the front person of the family of like, get out there and communicate for us and, and put on a good face for us and keep us happy and keep us joyful with all your entertainment. So I had learned to play that role pretty early on. So because I wasn't shy, I was introverted. In high school, it looked like social. I was very social, would have been perceived as very extroverted, but, huh. but internally, no. What did that feel like for you? Did it feel like you were wearing a mask or did it feel like this is just what I have to do to survive? Uh, it sucked ass. Like basically, <laughs> <laughs> basically it was terrible. I, I pretty much just felt like a fraud, I guess is how I would best say you it. You really identified as a fraud though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. for sure. I was always looking around like, am I human? And like, everybody else seems to be doing okay. And I'm like, not doing okay at all. And maybe they were all masking too. I don't know. But I definitely felt like I was a fraud amongst authentic people. So during this period, when you were masking, what did it feel like when you were unfolding as you should have been? So maybe you're in your room reading by yourself. Like, do you remember any instances of what that experience was like? Maybe in your 
teenage years, your 20s as you're kind of coming of age and learning about dating and all of that stuff? Well, yeah. So um, no, my coming of age is pretty, pretty traumatic. So it's a hard one to unpack. <laughs> but uh, as far as like, when did I nurture the introvert? Or when yeah. did I let that person or, or how did you know that it existed? Yeah, because I have I have what I call my inside world. And so when I was alone, I loved being alone. And when I was alone, my inside world would come to life. And so when I was younger, that would be like playing pretend or having like pretend worlds. But that carried over pretty late in life, too. And I just basically had this inside world and outside world. And the inside world I really didn't share with anybody. And it would just be daydreaming and writing. I love to write, creating, drawing, things like that. But I always kept that really private and kind of separate from the rest of the world. It just kind of feels as an introvert. I, th I think this is one thing. I mean, maybe some of this is just Cindy's trauma. But one thing that I think is connected about introverts is it does kind of feel like our privacy is really important to us and sharing that with someone is a really big deal and it does kind of feel like in an extroverted world when you try to share some of that inside world they just take it and eat it up and mm. like kind of drain you dry so then you you learn early on to just like to separate or protect that sort of inside world versus that outside persona hmm. and I think for me growing up I think looking at people around me and I have older brothers and siblings that were so gregarious, so charismatic. My father is very charismatic. Even though he's kind of quiet in general, he's just, uh, I mean, you just see him around, especially a woman, <laughs> like the charm turns all the way on. And I looked at that and looked at my mother who in her prime was just dazzling. And she just was, I remember her just floating through the house where she loved having people in our home. I lived in a home of nine people. And so imagine like extroversion, right? Like we had six children, my parents and my grandmother. And my father who was raised in Lebanon, that cultural, everybody is invited. We have food for everybody. And so we always had people coming through the house. And so I loved it. I love the energy. And I loved even the like noise in general doesn't really bother me because I can easily tune it out. And I wonder if it is growing up in a big family. But it was very clear that you're taught, say hello to whoever, make sure that you look at them in the eyes and say, please, and thank you. You need to be polite. You need to engage in conversation. I find myself doing that with my kids, who one of them's pretty shy. And so I think from my experience, I don't know that there was any other way, but I didn't feel like it was the wrong way. If I mean, to be brutally honest, I operate a lot on external validation still to this day and still trying to figure out that. I don't know if that's what fuels extroversion, but I know based on research that the dopamine levels, that reward system is very prevalent and is firing in an extrovert where it's another side of dopamine that's firing for the introvert. Do you know much about that? Yeah, I did kind of ge geek out on a little bit, you know, because I can't form <laughs> an opinion do. on anything without <laughs> the, the science. Quickly, it seems like, because I was trying to look for, you know, peer-reviewed science some of it seems a little pseudoscience-y so I wanted to weed through all that it does seem like at the very least extroverts prefer the feeling of their dopamine receptors being 
tingled, I guess, or being activated. And it seems like introverts prefer the feeling of what's called acetylcholine, um, which is a different chemical in the body. They prefer the feeling of that being activated. And so why that preference and how much of that is genetic? Probably a lot more genetic than we want to say, um, or that we, you know, because we can say, I'm like this because my parents did that. But when you look at all other genetic research like that, it's probably heavily, heavily genetic. Like I could have grown up in your family and been like, that's why I'm introverted because they were so Mm. loud and they were so overpowering (laughs) and I had no place. And then you could have grown up in my family where when the mailman came, we dropped on the floor. Like that was the very introverted. Yeah. (laughs) We hid from the mailman when he came. Like, (laughs) yeah, my mom like doesn't leave her house to this day. Like we have a lot of introversion in our, in, in our family. And so you would have come into that and been like, Oh, I'm outgoing because that was such a nightmare. You know, that was so, so overwhelming. So I think it's heavily genetic, but certainly we interact with our environment, I'm sure. So speaking of interacting with our environment, one of the questions I have for you, so extrovert asking an introvert, what does it feel like to be around an extrovert? Is it annoying or is there (laughs) anything that's like, this is kind of fun? Yeah, it depends on our energy level, I think. It's nice for a time, is what I'll say. <laughs> In doses. <laughs> yeah, so we we need to have our energy replenished. Um, so maybe doing like a weekend getaway with an extrovert would probably like we're going to peter out at you some put, point. Put you right over the edge. Yeah, yeah. But but if our energy levels are replenished and we go into that, we can definitely feed off your energy. And like it feels nice to be with an extrovert and particularly when that extrovert navigates social situations for us. You know, like you get the table or you push people through the line or, you, you know what I'm saying? Like you do the more extroverted stuff. It's nice. But it does reach a point where... Because it feels like, and this just pivots perfectly to my question for you. It feels like, and is this accurate, extroverts feed off the energy of being around people. Like Mm -hmm. being around people creates an energy that you feed off of. Is that what's happening when you're around people? Yes, and it depends on the people. I have found that I always loved being around people. Like I loved being at festivals. I loved being in big crowds. My husband and I had a long conversation about it where my husband is pretty, I don't know that he is introverted. He loves the energy of being in the city. He does not want to be out in the woods. He doesn't want to be in a quiet, sleepy town. He loves the energy of it, but he isn't necessarily outgoing and gregarious. And I think that extroversion and outgoing have potentially some definition that is required I think actually the pandemic has added a lot to this where I've always been extroverted. I loved being out with people. Now I'm far more selective. And so if I am, no offense if anybody is an accountant, but if I'm at like an accountant conference, I want to die. (laughs) This is not something that is fun for me. But I also worked for ADP for 11 years. I worked in a payroll company. I mean, you couldn't get more boring, but the people were freaking awesome. The clients were awesome. I loved working with the accountants because some of them were actually fun. And the people that I worked with, salespeople were fun. So it really does depend on kind of the vibe. So what is, so what is the energy? When I say what gives you energy, what are things that you think of? It has always been good conversation at least for me. And I'm sure that's most people. I may have a different experience because I never really drank. And so 
I would go to the bars with all my friends. I was like a two drink drunk. Like it didn't, I was just done after two Coronas. And I would love to be out and about and to see and be seen. I loved it. But once everyone started ratcheting up their alcohol, I would dip out the back. And I always had my getaway car, always. Because I did not want people to not see me boring. Oh, really? It wasn't uh-huh. because of you. It was because you didn't want to be seen as boring. I didn't want to be seen as boring. And I think as I matured, it was like, I don't want to do this. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, like my energy was drained in those sections because if people were so compromised, I couldn't have a conversation with them. It was like they weren't there. Mm-hmm. And I hated that because I didn't know if they would remember the conversation or if what they were talking about was nonsense. And I don't know why it felt so intense for me, but that was how it was. The Irish goodbye, I guess. I would always just (laughs) dip out the back and somebody, back then there wasn't really Uber, so people would figure out another ride home, but I was always the designated driver or they would have to figure out a ride home. Oh, you ditched them. Mm -hmm. I would ditch them. (laughs) I would ditch them. Well, and I think that's going to be relatable to a lot of introverts. I think maybe just what puts us in that space is probably even less than maybe what what it takes for you to get there. Like it takes a bunch of people like getting drunk maybe for you to feel that way. Mm. But I think we can feel that way more easily perhaps. Mm. Cause when I think of like what gives me energy, it's not a lot to do with people. It's a lot of retreating, a lot of quiet time, definitely my core people. I've got a very small list of core people. I mean, I could count probably on one hand. Yeah. I'm pretty confident on that. And I want to um, be on that hand. <laughs> you actually don't, I don't think. <laughs> I don't want to be on that <laughs> you hand. You need to talk to somebody on that hand first. <laughs> but there are very small number of people that are replenishing. There's even exchange outside of the core, hmm. I think, of people that I have an even exchange of energy with. But uh, no, when I think of like what gives me energy, it's going to be like a night in, staying home, knowing I don't have to go anywhere. My favorite feeling is the night after my work week has ended. Not like the Saturday, middle of the weekend, but like the very beginning of, this is the beginning of days where I could just not leave the house. That gives me energy. There's similarities and there's differences. Hmm. I wonder about what it feels like when there is silence in a group setting. That's uncomfortable for me, I think mostly because of the mask, because I learned to always keep people's emotion regulated and I still feel that natural pull. So when there is a lull in a conversation, that's where it's getting blurry between shyness and introvertedness, I think. And I think for shyer people or, or some people, it a lull in the conversation is no big deal. But some people can be very social, like be very capable social, capable socially, but be fueled by things that are more introverted. And so I don't like a lull in a conversation. I will be quick to feel uncomfortable and feel like I have to fill it. But that's draining for me. It's not fun to fill in the gaps. I had crowdsourced some questions on this too. And Gina had said that she has no problem with silence in a conversation. And I thought, oh, <laughs> that's like a next level. That's healthy. <laughs> that's it's like so Jedi healthy. level of communication <laughs> or just being okay with yourself. And so I personally feel like when I'm with somebody who is introverted or shy, 
my assumption, and this is probably where it gets really juicy to the listener. My assumption is that you're uncomfortable. So like an introverted or a shy person. And so I probably shouldn't use those interchangeably. My assumption is if somebody looks like they are socially uncomfortable or there is an awkward silence, I am all over it. And so I have conditioned myself to do everything I possibly can to make that other person feel comfortable. And so my goal is like, let me get this person to a point where they can relax. And I don't know if the person wants probably not (laughs) to help them relax, (laughs) right? You know, like, so it is filling in the gap. So that is my own experience. What is that like on the other end? Because I'm sure you've been with people that are super extroverted, where they are, I don't know if it's dominating the conversation, but they're driving it, right? Yeah. And and this these assumptions, right, by extroverts that they make about people who are, are more introverted or who don't necessarily need all that conversation all the time. So yeah, what what would be nice is to make space for that person to engage in conversation without making them feel like they have to. And you can check in with people and ask, is there anything you need? Are you having a good time? And if they say yes, if you could just believe us and like, we don't have to express having a good time in the same way that you do. And I think that this is where my one beef with extroverts come in is that our society is sort of engineered that it's the better way to be. And so we get a lot of blame for kind of being a buzzkill or like killing the vibe because we can't stay up till 3 a.m. or because we don't (laughs) fill every single second with conversation and because we're not big and loud and opinionated or like having all these things to say. And I I wish we could think of that in reverse, that like you guys are kind of killing our buzz. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like if you could reverse it around that having the idea that someone not being very emotive externally is making your time less fun. Well, we're allowing you to have space to emote in a very big way that takes up a lot of space. And we're not giving you any crap about, you know, we're not saying like, hey, you're killing my chill vibe with all your hyped up antics. So I might get that from some of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That sounds more balanced. Yeah. But I feel like in general, we're sort of like the buzzkill. Whereas you could do more meetups that are earlier in the day. You know, you could do more coffee meetups. Those are maybe more fun for us than always like late night stuff. Or you could just consider like if we're there, then we want to be there and just assume that and and not make us have to prove to you that we're having a good time. And and then if we're not having a good time, that we don't have to feel bad about it. It, it feels like it only goes one way often for introverts of hmm. that we're, we're always having to do it the extroverted way, like that's the right way. It feels like there's been an influx in focus on introversion in general. So I'm thinking about Susan Cain, the author of the book Quiet. Have mm-hmm. you read it? Yes. <laughs> is it an amazing book? Of yeah, course, I haven't good. read it. Oh, um, but I love Susan Cain. I love her. I love Bittersweet. I love everything that she does. Yeah. Are the scales tipping to be more balanced? Or is it more of like a diagnosis? Yeah, I don't know. I think probably it's it's definitely becoming more acceptable to be introverted. And I think definitely, like you said, the pandemic. It seems to have shown a lot of introverts that they're introverts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's getting some pushback. But in general, I'd still say overall, it feels like an extrovert's world. But 
definitely it's getting some pushback, which might be really uncomfortable for extroverts. Cause that's what I'm curious about you. Like how does it feel to be with an introvert and feel like, does it like, does it feel dissatisfying or does it feel like, are we taking something away by, by being more into low key type of activities or we're not always, we're, we do not want to talk to you on the phone. <laughs> we so got to like, do a sidebar on this phone conversation thing. But like, is it, is it difficult to be friends and communicate with introverts? I would say an unequivocal yes <laughs> in my world. And I will say that with a caveat and an asterisk because my closest friends are all deep introverts. And the reason why I think I attract or am attracted to or attractive to is the ability to have deep, thoughtful conversations that typically introverts are thoughtful and creative. And because they're not always running their mouth, they're always thinking and have different perspectives, at least friends that I have close to me. And so the hard part, if I'm being honest, is just the un unwillingness to be as available. And mm -hmm. so I've had, if I'm being really honest, I've had some really tough adjustments that I've had to make because it can be often that if I need somebody, they're not there. And they're not there because they're in their own funk mm -hmm. and need time to compress. And so when that has happened, and not everybody, of course, I'm just thinking of anecdotal instances yeah. where there are certain friends that they just burrow in their hole and they'll come up in a month or a few weeks or whatever. And that's their way. I think navigating the feeling of rejection, the experience of rejection on my end, that I can't count on you when I need you, but I'll always be there for you. And so I think the imbalance is, is me navigating my own sensitivity towards rejection of what that feels like, or even just the balance part is challenging. And so that is my issue to deal with, not the other side. So I want to be clear on that, but it is challenging that the spontaneity part is not always there, but I think sometimes it is. I enjoy the quieter vacations. I don't need to go to nightclubs. I don't need to be out going, 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 going. And so I think there is a happy medium between us and I have such magnificent friends that are incredible, but I've had to deal with my own shit with it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that because it, it makes sense that it would feel like that on the other end. As a, as a burrower myself, <laughs> I could maybe try to speak from the burrow, the burrow, right. what's happening on the other side of that, that coin. I think a introverts have a lower energy threshold for socialization for various reasons. But I know for me, and what I, I hear it, it's not like it's just me that I hear talk this way. It does feel like people feed off our calm presence. A lot of people don't seem to innately have that ability themselves. And so they borrow it. It's like they're borrowing our calmness. Hmm. And so we lose it. At least me personally, I can't have that many people borrowing that from me, especially when it's something I highly value. There's a cycle that I go through where I retreat and I rest up and I gain a lot of energy and I gain a lot of insight and I feel 
really good. And then I do want to get out into the world and do things. And then the it, it's sort of like just little energy suckers, you know, just like mm. lots of little, I think for a lot of introverts, the types of contact that we get reached out to for feels really heavy. I mean, mm. it's like a lot of people want to ask us about deep things. And we only think deeply. You're right about that. <laughs> right. We do. But that can get really overwhelming. So once we put ourselves back out there, it does feel like a lot of people need things from us and have been waiting for us to come back. And they need a lot of things. Hmm. And then that goes through a draining period where it's like, Oh, God, how do you you start to feel overwhelmed, you retreat, (laughs) like you just start, there's this overwhelming feeling that comes over of just like, Oh, my God, everybody needs something from me is what it feels like for me. I can't say how it feels for everybody, but that's, I could see that being me not being alone in that. Hmm. That when we step out, a lot of people borrow energy from us and borrow that sense of calm and in really heavy and intense ways. And it leads to overwhelm. And it's not like one person is just sucking life out of us, but we step out and you know, 15 people are, can I pick your brain for this? I need to ask you about that. I need to brainstorm this. I need to get this. And that just builds up and builds up. And then you feel really overwhelmed. Hey, it's Allison. Thanks for listening. What is the biggest goal that you desire right now? Do you have the exact steps to get there yet? Or maybe you're not sure you have the time to figure it out on your own. You're so busy. If you'd love some clarity and focus on what's next for you, we should talk. I'm offering a free breakthrough call and have opened up a few spots for you. Go to allisonhair.com forward slash schedule. Take this time to focus on you. It could make all the difference. Like for me, it's not a choice. Once I've hit that overwhelmed feeling, the only way to get back to myself and to feel that sense of calm that I've kind of given away is to just pull back in, stay with the core people because they you know they've been around so long like they know the deal and I'm there for them unequivocally so there's never I have to make sure I'm okay for that core group Mm -hmm. but other than that I kind of retreat replenish and the cycle starts all over again are there any instances where there are people that and I know you touched on it before but there are people that are restorative to you that you can hang out with them endlessly. And maybe that's your husband and son, you know? (laughs) Pretty much. But I wonder if there are other people that feel so rejuvenating where, like, I'm hearing this of, and that thought of like, I'm too much. I'm too much. I'm too much for some people. And that is like, as an extrovert, I'm not for everybody, right? And I'm okay with that. But like the I'm too much thing, I really am too much for people like you. (laughs) <laughs> well, and I think it's, it's not you're not too much. I think it's just the dichotomy between us. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's how our balance works, but it it's, has a cycle it has to go through. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I don't think like I'm not when I'm feeling that overwhelm, I'm not mad at anybody who's in my no, text thread that. or yeah. anybody that's in yeah. my emails, you know, asking for something. I'm just like, it's time. You prioritize And so it's just, and it's just a very different way of getting energy. And when other people may, who are maybe are more extroverted or just operate differently, they may love all these people asking them questions that may really light them up and feel really good. Um, And it does for a second for me, but (laughs) then it, it starts to feel like, oh, burden, burden. But no, I don't think you're too much. I just think it's a different way of getting energy. And that's one way. And that does kind of lead to my, my question for you, because I remember one time 
this is a thing that was like a clear difference in how we operate. Uh-huh. We were talking one time, I think it was about the psilocybin experience and you were doing it with a group. And I was just, I said, I was like, what about doing it solo? Like the idea of doing group thing, group meditations, group sound bathing, group everything sounds so disruptive to me. Like sounds so counterproductive. Huh. So I'm curious, what does it feel like for you when you do group experiences like group meditations or, or things like that? What does that feel like as an extrovert when you're feeling a group's energy? So I'm thinking of two different instances. It's a really great question. So in the psychedelic assisted ceremonies, those I had no problem with because I knew they all had the same goal. And the the number one thing is, are we going to be safe? Are we going to be taken care of? And I had that trust. And so sharing that experience with people that were also probably scared like I was and trusting like I was and trying to work towards a common goal, which is healing, which is understanding, which is connectedness, which is the death of ego. Like that felt really good. It felt really good. And it didn't, it didn't mean that I was opposed to doing it alone, but in those cases it was because I didn't know what to expect. So I wanted to make sure I had coverage of somebody that had experience and somebody that I trusted. But I also know that in some group settings, there was another experience where I was at a retreat. It was in Sedona. And we did this experience I had never done before. And these were with women also with a common goal, growth-oriented, amazing, powerful, strong women, people I didn't know. And it was in Sedona, right? Like, so you're out of your element. And we did this exercise where essentially it was almost giving permission. It was an experience where they would play a song that was, was designed to spark anger. And so you were invited if you, to whatever level you felt comfortable to just let it out, just let it out. If you wanted to scream, just scream. If you wanted to shake your arms or stomp your feet, you know, or punch things, do it. If you wanted to cry, just do that. And so we did that. And then there was a, a sadness, like a sad song to evoke sadness. And then it went into more of a happy kind of healing, freeing song. And so it was just over the course of these three songs. And the people on either side of me were wailing. I could feel their energy so intensely where I was like, I can't let go. And again, I I think I have problems releasing anyway. And I have not even been able to do it with my therapist. Like, I think it needs to happen alone in the quiet somewhere, but it has not happened for years just to like yell or scream or let it out and feel safe. But in this occasion, I was like, well, I'm just going to hold space for these two women on either side of me and everyone here. And that was all I could do because I, it was really intense and I was crying because I could feel their release and their grief and their sorrow coming out. And it was kind of a cop out, like, let me just hold space for them because I'm not going to lose lose it for me. And part of that maybe is an ego thing that I didn't want people to hear how loud I scream or, or know like my deep insides. 
No, that's really interesting because I relate so much more to that second story. I, maybe you're just somewhere in the omnivert or something because, <laughs> and you know, everything's a spectrum anyway and everything's situational, but just in the context of the fun conversation we're having where mm -hmm. we're going this versus this, what's it like? I, I, I remember you talking about like l loving the energy in that group um, of the first story that you told and that feeling. I've tried to do that. And this is back to sort of the, I guess some things work for some people and some don't mm. because I wonder if people will relate. I, I tried to figure out like, what is it that I'm holding back? Is it that I'm resisting? Like, mm -hmm. why do I never feel in groups that feeling that I hear people talk about of just this, the group energy is so powerful and I have never, ever felt that way leaving a group. And I, I would try to do more and more intense groups to bring that out of me, like shake it out. It's got to be in there. And then I just figured it out one day um, and have been just content ever since hmm. that I, I think some people, and I've discussed this with other healers and stuff who, who relate to this sort of introvert trait, maybe that some people I think end up being the energy trash can. So like, hmm. I think I'm an energy trash can for people. And that just lines up consistently every time. You need to define energy trash can because you <laughs> yeah. are a coach, right? Like you deal yeah. with some deep shit for parents and teens and really, really deep, deep stuff. What is an energy trash can? Yeah, well, and in that very relationship, my trash can works very handy because that is the, the point that they're throwing something away. And yeah. I, can, I can hold that for them. And then I have to dispose of that off on my own and cleanse mm -hmm. that energy and I do heavy meditation in order to do that so in that sense the, that's fine that works for me um, in the context of working with clients but if I'm going somewhere because I need to be held or if I'm going somewhere because I need to be filled up or I need to be replenished I kept trying to do it in a group setting because I kept being told like it's such a great feeling mm -hmm. so I kept looking for like where's that feeling but it's it's just that I'm always the trash can. So what it feels like when I try to do things like that is a little more similar to your hmm. second experience that everyone's trash, everything that everyone is releasing feels like it. I have to hold it. And so it's not as fun of an experience for the person who relates to that role. So we maybe just don't get the kind of, but do you feel that way in, let's say a church? And I don't know if you're particularly religious but I as you know I'm not particularly religious but I'm always seeking and I love the feeling of being in a church congregation that I am not objecting to <laughs> I object to a lot and I'm thinking about Ebenezer Baptist it's Martin Luther King's historic church so I'm a white person in a black church and the way they sing the way they celebrate feels like I am lifted up. I feel, I feel it. I feel the energy and the power of being together. And it makes me sad that you don't have access to that, or maybe you haven't experienced or accessed that, or maybe it looks different for you, but there is such a power and strength in community. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. I think it's like the role you play in community. Hmm. And I think I've, Generally, I, f I think I play the role of holding space for people, holding things that they're releasing or, or being a vessel for them to release it. So if you play that role, it just isn't the same. It doesn't mean that mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not honored 
the work I do with clients, I do that all the time. It's such an honor. I feel a sense of community, but I feel like that's my role and I'm not going to really fight it anymore. But the closest I get to what you're talking about, I am not religious. So I had to feel the opposite in religious settings. <laughs> I feel like I'm waiting to burst into flames. <laughs> but, but the closest I feel to what you're articulating is very specific, but it's a great feeling. And it is at concerts and live music, mm. mm-hmm. mostly when I'm only with my core. So, mm. or by myself perhaps, but there's a sense of anonymity where no one cares I'm there. No one knows I'm there. I don't have to be anything for anyone. And so being in that setting and dancing and like singing and celebrating live music, that's the thing that makes me feel like what you're talking about. But it's not with a group of people that I know. It's really like my core can be there. I'm not having to play. It's just this feeling of always having to play, play some kind of role in holding space for people. It just wears you down. But if you are with strangers at this concert that you're just feeling free with, do you feel connected to those other people? Yeah, yeah. Because hmm. I, because the it's the anonymity of I'm with strangers, mm-hmm. so there's nothing they need from me. They you don't. You should follow my new girl anything. summer <laughs> challenge. <laughs> it's going into new fall. Nice <laughs> new girl fall. Yeah, <laughs> I have been following along. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, so I wonder, and and especially you as a parent and teen coach, somebody who is deeply understanding of the introverted experience, raising a son, I don't know where he falls on the spectrum, but I imagine you probably have been very intentional of how does your son, how do you help coach and guide him, especially when he was younger, learning how to socialize in a way that really was particular to him and not necessarily, you need to be kind, you need to be polite, you need to say please, thank you, you make sure you say hello, ask them how they're doing, all of those things. What does that look like for you? Well, I did that at first and it screwed him up. <laughs> so I what did, did you do? Before I understood how what a heavy role genetics played and how my relationship with him was more important than shaping and molding him and all that. Before that, I was definitely trying to intentionally create a very specific type of person. And that was a boy who had emotional intelligence and who, who could be thoughtful and kind in the world. Like that was my whole thing was like, I'm going to put a male out on this planet that, you know, can communicate his feelings and he is not going to hurt women. So that was like my whole thing. But I had a gentle and kind kid. So constantly preaching to him, be kind, think of others, be kind, think of others. was like a one-way ticket for him to have huge issues uh, with over caretaking for people, people pleasing. So so I did that and screwed it up. (laughs) (laughs) And since have recognized how important genetics and letting a child's genetics like unfold without trying to judge it. And so then when I started backing off and letting him be who he was, uh, yeah, that, that was, I mean, that was it. And it turns out that he's quite, uh, has social anxiety. So he's shy or has social anxiety, but is very extroverted. He's very lit up and very energized by being around other people. Hmm. So he has to deal with, you know, that that can be challenging, but it's something he loves. But that is complete opposite of me where I have great social skills but no desire, (laughs) no desire to like be around a whole lot of people. So let's put this into perspective. So my son, Danny, he is probably introverted. He loves being around his core people. 
he is shy. He's definitely shy when you meet him. And so we had a back to school uh, day and he met his teacher and I was like, make sure you go say hi to your teacher. And I found myself like, make sure you say hi, ask her how she was, ask her how her summer was, be conversational. It's not all about you. And I'm like, (laughs) I know I'm part of the problem here. I just can't help it. And I saw him where she's asking him, hey, it's so nice to meet you, Danny. How was your summer? And he looked at her like his whole body just retreated. I was like, "Ah, I I keep forgetting that he's shy Mm -hmm. until he needs a minute, right? Like it's, it's very apparent that he needs a minute. He loves to kind of take in everything, realize he's safe, understand what's going on. He's very, very emotionally intelligent and very bright. And he needs a minute. And so I just backed off and I'm like, I probably could have handled that better, at least on the front end. I just let him be what he, what he was. I wasn't going to admonish him or like, go, go answer a question. Like he takes a minute. So what would be a better approach to let them develop how they're going to develop socially? Yeah, well, and you didn't screw anything up by telling him to say hi to his teacher, first of all. So he's not going to like need all kinds of therapy to get over that morning. <laughs> he has plenty of other, <laughs> op- other opportunities. We, right. all, we all will have reasons. But no, I think the idea is like just taking off the table that there are, are higher quality and lower quality traits and, and just seeing humans as we need a diverse set of humans. We need a diverse set of traits and there's qualities and downsides to both. So it's fine to teach your child social norms, right? Like it's fine to say, you know, the reason we say hello to people is because they, they may perceive that you don't want to be there. And so if you do want to be there, you'd want to be sure and like acknowledge that person, you know, explain like why social things exist, but in a very like neutral way. Not, what does that look like? Um, you know, so saying, well, you're using Danny's thing mm-hmm. for an example, you could pregame with him of like, you'll, probably want to say hello to your teacher because she's going to be meeting you for the first time and when people meet for the first time they're looking at each other for clues of like what is this person like and are we going to get along well and so just keep that in mind that you might want to just say hello Hmm. so she doesn't because we perceive things in our culture as rude if people don't say hello you know just very like matter of fact this is how this culture works but then if he has social anxiety and he freezes up and he can't, then it's not like you failed. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I explained the social norm and yeah, you might have come off to her, but you also might, she might un- understand that some people have social anxiety and it sucks. You know, it sucks to have social anxiety, but it's also okay. You know what I mean? Like, so very just however you are is probably fine, but explain my thing is like explain the, the language that our culture speaks, but learn your child's language too. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. don't just put it all on them that they're supposed to become these great salesmen walk in the room and can shake anybody's hand and look them right in the eye. Mm-hmm. Tell them like those are things our culture values, but also so they can understand what's happening on the other side, but also ask them, what are you feeling when that's happening? And can you explain that to people so that they under, can you tell them that you have social anxiety? You know, can you, is that okay to say out loud when you're a kid? Heck yes. Think about context is always good. I know. But do people even know, like, how do you identify social anxiety, whether it is shyness, social anxiety? The other thing you mentioned again is rudeness. And so I think the fear and, and this has come up, even the crowdsource questions is people assume that you're mean or rude. Yeah if you're introverted because you're not so over the top. So can you explain that a little better? 
Yeah, and I learned this from the autistic community, which I'm really grateful for, is when you look at interventions for autism that are actually effective, it's about that there's two languages. And often a lot of the old school tools for autism was there's one language, it's ours, and you're doing it wrong. Mm. And so we would just teach them to mask and act like us when authentically they didn't make any sense to them whatsoever. And so then now the newer interventions working with children with autism is let's learn both languages and, and how people with autism communicate can be very different even from child to child but learn what that means to them learn when they say that what does that mean and figure out how they speak and also share your language and interpret for them like when you don't say hi to someone sometimes they think you don't like them just explain that and then why don't you say hi to someone how do you let people know that you like them and they may say well i'll draw them a drawing or i'll Hmm. i'll bring them a gift you know and so you can say okay well instead of saying hi to your teacher why don't we pick out a gift so like learn both languages so you have just i don't know the more languages you speak like the better off and is the rest of the world going to do that i don't know probably not (laughs) But I just don't care. It's on the world if they're not willing to learn that there are different ways of doing things. This is we're we're changing things societally now. So do you think social anxiety is caused by introversion trying to mask or otherwise? I'm sure there's a correlation and there's probably a million things that that result in social anxiety. But definitely one of them could be being introverted and being overwhelmed like if if you're around a bunch of introverts and they're taking up all the space you can start to feel scared to insert your opinion I'm sure Mm. but there's a lot of things all kind of things can result in social anxiety I want to understand a little more about the identity side of I'm an introvert I'm an extrovert I found that when the topic had kind of become popularized and memes are everywhere about introversion and people feel seen and and Susan Cain's book and all of those things that Ted talks about it. It almost felt like, at least from my perspective, an excuse. Well, I'm an introvert. I'm not going to that. It was almost an annoying ass diagnosis. You know, like (laughs) I'm an introvert. Do you find yourself using that or identifying because identity are just a a code of conduct, right? Like a code of conduct that makes sense for you. Do you find yourself using that as like, (laughs) "Mm, nope. That's very interesting. You would ask that question and a little bit revealing if I'm being honest. So the idea of identifying as something is that you're becoming more and more comfortable If it matches with your identity, you should be feeling more and more comfortable. And all along, humans really should have felt comfortable. I don't know why we reward people making themselves very uncomfortable a lot of the time. Hmm. So I think if there's a little clue here that if you feel a little like they're copping out or they're using it as an excuse, you may be robbing yourself of the opportunity to do those same things. And you may be a little jealous of the fact that they aren't having to do those things. But like in general, we, we shouldn't be doing a lot of things that we don't want to do. And so I don't think it's ever an excuse that I'm introverted. It is the reason that I don't want to be there. Uh-huh. And I shouldn't go to things like who wants people at something that they don't want to be there. So it's just interesting that you call it an excuse or a cop-out. That must mean you don't want to do those things either, basically. I don't know. I just say no to what I don't want to do. 
But then why do you think they're copping out or giving an excuse? It almost feels like, and again, this is just anecdotal. This is just from my experience. No, but it's really interesting. If you think so. And I'll have to think through this more because I don't, I, I, I just have seen some people proudly say, I'm an introvert. That is not for me. Yeah, that's, I think they're telling the truth. I yeah. think that's how they feel. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's, a lot of things are not for us. Yeah. Um, we have a very extroverted design world. And so you're saying like, and I'll just say no. Is that what you mean? Like, yeah. That, but what's the difference, I guess? I don't know. I don't know. What's your reason for saying no? If I don't feel like it. I mean, I, I certainly have introverted tendencies too. There's some things that are super draining for me. I'm not going to go to... I don't yeah. like karaoke bars. So, I don't, I'm not going to do karaoke. I yeah. don't like it. Well, I guess it's just one one excuse is not more like their reason is not more valid than yours. Yeah. Saying they're extroverted and saying I don't or saying they're introverted and you're saying I don't want to. Yeah. They're the know. same thing. I don't know if it's the label part. I don't know. It's something I'll have to do some self-reflection over. And we've gotten real bold about throwing it around. <laughs> like we've definitely been I don't wearing... say, well, I'm an extrovert, so I'm doing everything. <laughs> and you could, but I think we also, we may be getting a little more sassy with it because mm -hmm. we've been caged up for a while. Like we've been made to go to obligatory stuff. We've been made to like feel bad. We've been made to get out there and do more that something's wrong with us if we don't for a long time. So maybe we're proud to wear that badge now because like finally it's yeah. not necessarily something to be ashamed of but no I think it feels connecting I think introverts are really happy to find out a that there are others of us who also mm -hmm. didn't want to be doing all that stuff but um but also that it's just more socially acceptable to be introverted I mean it mm -hmm. really used to be like you're going down a wrong path like if you were introverted it was you weren't going to have opportunities you weren't going to have as good of a life um, is that still the case, though? Like, I know that we say it, but if you're in a job interview, like, and, and that came up a lot with the crowdsource questions of you were taught that if you're not this way, you're going to miss tons of opportunity. And it's an unfair experience. You can't be who you are. You won't be compensated. You won't be chosen. So how do we combat that? I don't know. I just think we should look at like, are there jobs that extroverts work themselves out of? You know, like, are you maybe not, are y'all maybe not the best fit for other jobs where you need somebody who has a calmer energy or a, a lower, a lower key presence or can create that space to not speak. Um, I think a lot of therapists are introverts and they can mm -hmm. sit in that, they can do that awkward silence. They have a word for that silence mm -hmm. and they do it on purpose. But, you know, so it's like we, it's fine, fine, you know, the, the pregnant it, pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if us being not that social or if us not wanting to go do tons of work, travel and be lots of networking events will keep us from getting those jobs. Okay. I think that's like fair enough, but are there other jobs that maybe we're a better fit for? Um, mm -hmm. because we, you know, it, like I think it people do great. Like accountants, another good example, like a lot of people have jobs where they don't interact with humans a whole lot. And that would be, I'm sure, torture for a lot of extroverts. So like, why are we not telling y'all, oh, you probably don't have a future in IT? Well, there are a lot of forward facing people that come across as extroverted. And people are so surprised because they are public figures, they are in sales roles, they are like a, a public person. Maybe they are famous in some way. And they're like, no, I need time to recharge. And people are always surprised because 
they think I'm an extrovert, but really I'm not at all. I think it kind of blurs the line in general. And even like the ambivert kind of definition of, is there really a line in the sand for one or the other? Are we really that different? And if we are, is it just the brain science and just navigating the cultural conditioning on top of it and our own chemistry, our own genetics? Yeah, no, I think this conversation has helped me see that there's a lot. I thought there would be a lot more mystery to what it's like to be you. But I think it just is a slight difference in what gives us energy. But I heard a lot of familiarity in what you were saying and related to it. And maybe and it sounds like maybe you heard some familiarity in what I was saying, too. Totally. And I think even the misconception that introverts hate parties, hate, don't want to be around people. And the misconception that extroverts love small talk. We, I hate small talk. I don't know that anybody loves small talk. Yeah, It is just part of like something I can navigate, but it's not something I enjoy at all. And I, I wonder if it is just those blanket stereotypes that are, how do we find a better way to kind of understand each other and leave space? I think for you and I, even these episodes, like, you call me every few weeks or a month or two or whatever. And you're like, when are we recording again? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I know you've come out of your hole yeah. and I'll jump on it. But if it were up to me, we would do this every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do not have that bandwidth. <laughs> and that just is a different type of energy feeling. Yeah. It's, it's a filling energy for me once a month. It's energy filling for you once a week. <laughs> it is just a difference in they, just like chocolate, right? At some point it's too much. At some point it's yeah. too little. And we just don't agree on what that amount is. And I think that is the interesting part of, of me feeling that experience of wanting more of whoever it is and it never being enough where you're like, I have had enough. Yeah. <laughs> I need more quiet. <laughs> yeah. I need less people, more me. And you, yeah, you have to deal with that feeling of like it's not enough and we have to deal with that overwhelming feeling hmm. so it's a tra it's a trade like we each have our our perks and our downsides but like while you're off dealing with why don't I I want more of this person and I feel rejected we're dealing with I'm feeling overwhelmed and like the whole world is asking something of me so it's just these two different very painful experiences but is it painful yeah, so it's just, just as painful as what how you describe feeling rejected. It feels that painful to me. But is it painful now that you've kind of established boundaries? You have designed your life to really flourish in a way that feels right for you. You can serve your community. You can serve your clients. You can be there for your friends and have the right people in your circle. Does it feel painful still? Yeah, less often. Mm -hmm. But no, I th the cycle is still happening. I think that cycle is part of being me. But yeah, no, it's still painful. When it is that moment of overwhelm, it's very painful. But it happens less often and it lasts less long, I guess, mm -hmm. since having boundaries. But I don't ever see me having a life where I, there's not the cycle. I don't think I'm just going to always be chilling, you know, <laughs> in, in this happy medium. <laughs> it is the back and forth that is the balance. Did you love the pandemic? 
Yeah. Oh, and my son ruined it. I I loved it. I loved it. And he was depressed. He he got depressed within like week two. No joke. And it killed the vibe so hard. I was so mad because I had to worry about his mental health. And I was like, oh, I'm doing so great, though. Yeah, it was. He ruined it. And it, we, I still tell him that, like, you totally ruined the pandemic for me. It, it went away. <laughs> now we're back to your world. And now I'm going to ruin your world for you. But yeah, he, he got depressed and we had to socialize. Like, we had to, like, either deal with his depression and then once you could actually get out. So we were, like, having to get out as early as possible, mm-hmm. you know, and do drive-by birthdays and all that <laughs> kind of crap when I just could have stayed inside, like, all day, every day. Hmm. I'll ask maybe some rapid fire questions from these crowdsource questions. Okay. And, I'm, and really I may ra- rapid fire back. All right. This one was interesting. And I don't know if this is at all correlated or if you'd even know the answer. So maybe we'll just bullshit our way through this one. <laughs> yeah. Anecdotal. But the question was, one of those was from Laurel and she asked about my husband and I process things differently. So my husband is an extrovert. He processes things externally, meaning he needs to talk things out out loud. I am an introvert. It it takes me a while. I need to really process and internalize things before I can come up with an answer. And I need time. Do you think that's any way related? I can actually answer this. Okay. (laughs) Because I do have to have an understanding of processing delays. That is not related to what your sort of social battery, how your energy social battery. So that is a processing thing. And there are auditory processors and there are internal processors. So that could be totally um, independent of what whether you're in more introverted or extroverted. Because I'm an external processor introvert. Um, I don't know what you would say you are, whether you process internally or you process externally. Externally. Yeah. No questions there. <laughs> <laughs> Why do extroverts talk over each other? Oh, that's questions for you. <laughs> I've wondered the same thing. <laughs> I don't know. I try and temper. <laughs> I'll, I will say I'm mindful that I'm not, because I know I have a, a loud and can be overbearing to some. And so I try and be very mindful that I'm not talking over people, but I'm sure I probably could. <laughs> I want to bounce a question, pivot off that. Or okay. Whatever. Attach this question to it. Do y'all like talking more than listening or is there not, it's just the social, you love the whole social interaction or is there, do you have like a one aspect of a conversation that lights you up more? Like you love conversation. Uh-huh. Do you love the talking part more than listening or you, it's the whole deal? I love both, but I would say my natural is to talk mm-hmm. and I have taught myself to listen. Oh, okay. And I was very, very intentional about this probably about 20 years ago. I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing and why and why it was important to me. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry you had a mask. It's not, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm just curious. I mean, there is kind of something wrong with it. <laughs> there's nothing wrong <laughs> You with know, it. this is a life, a human experience that requires more than one person. But I do love hearing other people's stories. But I love to run my mouth, that's for sure. Right. Okay, so this is from Chelsea. She asks about relationships with alcohol. Does the introvert appreciate social lubricant And does the extrovert drink to decompress? And is that even related? I think that's probably going to be person to person. Yeah. Um, Because I'm hardcore introvert. That's like a social anxiety thing too. I have zero interest in alcohol. Like I only do it to not be weird. 
And you don't, you're not a big alcohol person uh-uh. either, right? No. Do you just drink to just not make people uncomfortable too? Sometimes. Yeah, that's pretty and, much And I the never even time. finish the drink. <laughs> right. I, I never I have interest in it. fake drinking all the time. <laughs> yeah. And see, we're very different in the social aspect. So I, I think that, I think a person's relationship with alcohol is just sort of, depends on other factors. Yeah, I think that's true. I love this question from Lala. She's a semi-shy introvert with FOMO. Yeah, I thought that Isn't was that interesting too. Yeah, she said, what do extroverts think is going on in the heads of the introverts and vice versa? And what's your relationship with FOMO too? Oh, I have it hardcore. Really? I have it hardcore. God. So you see people hanging out and you feel jealous or like, what do you feel? I think in some ways, in, in one way, it is an idea spark, right? Like, oh, that's a cool idea. But if it is a group of people or somewhere where I want to be, yeah, I feel FOMO in that. Like, you know, if you see a, a people at a Taylor Swift concert, I would have loved to have gone to any of those. Mm. So certainly there's FOMO, but I don't think it is like debilitating. Oh, my life is the worst. It's just, it almost is like, to me, the way I process it, it's an idea spark. I want to do more. I want to do more. Mm. I want to do more. I want to do more. And, and that is how I'm wired. I want to, like, it, it's a big wide world with tons of experiences. What do possibilities look like? So my FOMO is like more. Gotcha. My FOMO looks like more. What does that look like for you? Mm-mm. When I see, <laughs> when I see, anytime I see anyone having joy, like, like legitimately, I'm trying to think if I can call myself out on this, if I'm a liar, but anybody doing anything they want to be doing, I'm always like, good for them. That That's very nice to watch. And also a certain part of it that's like, glad I, I didn't need to be there. Or I or just, there's, there's just nothing. There's just a blank there of FOMO. Like wherever FOMO exists in people's brain, it's just blank for me that I don't feel left out. I don't feel it. I feel like good for them. And I'm very, very content not... I really can't, I can't think of an occasion that people did something and I've thought I should have been invited or wished I had been invited. I think I'm often like, that's cool. <laughs> and I'll, I'll stay I here. Think, I think your brain should be examined, packaged, <laughs> marketed, and sold. <laughs> because what does it feel like to be content? I mean, I don't know that, that I mean, I'm not content. Other things maybe make me right. feel direct, just duress, but that doesn't. I don't have whatever that is. Mm-hmm. A fear of missing out. I do not have. I have a, a fear of not getting to go home. <laughs> <laughs> a fear of not staying in. I actually have that too. That I feel like if I am at certain events, especially in the evening, um, because I really love going to bed at a kind of an earlier time, there are certain places where I am counting down the minutes till I get home can leave and especially at sporting events. So I generally, (laughs) I don't have FOMO for any of that, you know, but like if people invite me to go to a big game or something, I'm like, no, because I'm just not fun and I don't want to be there (laughs) at all. That that made me think of a a question. When I look at my calendar, maybe you do or don't do this. Maybe this is an introverted thing. When I look at my calendar, I look out projecting the week and I'll feel a certain way based Mm -hmm. on what the calendar looks like. So are there ways that you structure your calendar that you think are reflect your extrovertedness or making sure those energy needs are met? Or like, what does an ideal calendar structure look like to you that would peak meet your energy needs? That's a really good question. And I think, I think a couple of years ago, a packed calendar was a good calendar for me. 
but it wasn't very sustainable. And it didn't mean that the things on those calendars weren't things that I wanted to do. I think now the calendar is all exciting. And so every single appointment is like, yay, (laughs) with very rare exceptions. And that is a calendar by design. And so there is white space. Block out Tuesday mornings are my creative time and I protect that with my life. And so those are when I'll do podcasts and blog and, and just leave it open and the rest kind of gets filled in. So I don't know if that's the same for you, but socially, I generally have stuff going on maybe once a week in the evening, maybe twice, like this week is not at all. And that's okay too, kids are going back into school and we're, we're trying to adjust to that. So I don't know that there's a lot of charge in the calendar. And your weekends, like what are they, are they very social or? I think our calendars are not as social as they should be mm-hmm. on the weekends. When my kids were younger and they were invited to 50 birthday parties, multiple birthday parties every single weekend, that was it. And it was going back to back to back. But because my kids don't play a lot of sports or any sports, really, there isn't a lot. I question whether it is the wrong thing because we don't have, in my opinion, enough Mm. on the weekends. Like my kids love to play video games and they would be, they're perfectly happy to sit here and do that. And I am perfectly happy to yell at them all weekend long. And that (laughs) is not the the kind of state that I want. (laughs) So you would have a slightly more social calendar. What about you? Well, I was thinking about that. After I asked the question, I was like, it's going to get asked in reverse. (laughs) Am I going to tell the truth? Mm. I kind of think I should tell the truth, but I am nervous to share what my calendar looks like because it's like a very sacred. That's very sacred to me, my calendar and how I structure it. I only work three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And how I structure Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is a taper. So Monday, I'm almost breaking my neck seeing clients. Like it is nothing but clients. You can't even speak to me that day. I'm like going like 8 a.m., 8 p.m. at least like is constant. And then Tuesday is somewhat less than that. It's a little bit lighter. It eases off. And then Wednesday is a little bit, is more like a half day, I would say. So it's almost two and a half days. But I would say workload wise, it's three, three solid days. Because I'm either out doing things and I'm having to be in that mind space or I'm home. I don't really have a lot of in between. So doing a little because my husband's always like, why don't you just work less over five days like a normal person? And I'm like, I can't. I would rather break my neck early in the week and then have those two days. Do you feel like it's the uninterrupted time that you are protecting to give a whole day? Yes, it's just I'm either fully giving away myself Mm -hmm. or it's shut off. I just don't really have an in-between that I'm Mm. aware of. So those three days are like, here you go, professionally. Mm -hmm. So then Thursdays are typically my giving, sharing myself with people that I would say aren't the core are 24 seven, you know what I'm saying? But other socially or professionally networking wise, like that's my Thursday day to do that type of stuff. Friday is retreat. And that's when I research and I read and I drink tea and I basically lay around. Maybe I clean. I don't know. Maybe Mm. I do nothing. And then I try to do nothing on the weekends too. Mm. So it's almost like three days a week (laughs) that I try only core people really get me on the weekends with few exceptions here and there. But like, ah, that's what it really looks like. 
Why do you hate talking on the phone? Ugh, it's just your whole attention has to go to that. And I can pay attention to 50 things at once. But if you're calling me, now I can't spend time with my family. I can't, can't sip my tea and read my book or I can't do something while I'm texting you. If you're calling me, that is the only thing I can be doing in that time. And it just feels like, uh, it just, it drains more. I don't know, it's like opening the tap on wide versus opening it slowly. And it's like, oh, my attention has to go to you. And I feel like my attention has to go a lot of places. And it, I think it really does. If you, if you got in my brain, you would see that my attention has to go a whole lot of places. And I could have 15 text chains that I could get that same information across to <laughs> versus a, a phone call. A 20-minute phone call is like only that is the only thing. So I'll do it when I'm in the car. Do you think it's a millennial thing or no an clue. introvert thing? No clue. I don't know who it, whose thing it is, but I'm I'm on board. <laughs> because if I'm going to call somebody, I'm in the car and I'm yeah, in a in four the car. hour drive. Only Same in the thing. car. But I love talking to people on the phone in the car, but I'm also frantically like trying to figure out like, who do I need to catch up with? Oh, and then I'll call them, <laughs> get voicemail. Then I'll call somebody else, like get voicemail. Then I'll call somebody and talk to that person for like 45 minutes. Yeah, they got to be in the car too. So yes. you have to coordinate your car rides. Yeah. Yeah, some people are more accommodating than others. <laughs> and then some people are like, send a voice note, a-hole. <laughs> yes, te- this could be done by text. The wonders of text. Well, Cindy, introvert versus extrovert. I think we did it. I think so. I learned a lot. How can people find you? My website, cindyrobinsonllc.com. And what have you learned recently as a late learner that you were wrong about? You always ask me this. And you know what? I figured out last time. So I don't, I'm still not going to be able to answer your question, but I at least figured out last time you asked me that and I had the hardest time and I am afraid of being wrong. Hmm. So when you ask me to tell you what I'm wrong about, I think I spend so much time ruminating over getting it right and like you can't be wrong that I think I'm so afraid of the idea of being wrong that I'm not, if, if that is, I'm not saying I'm not wrong, I'm definitely wrong, but I can't retain that information. I'm very cautious about before I speak, I have to have researched that really well, or I have to know what I'm saying, or I have to say it correctly. So I don't know that I can, I'm wrong about answering this <laughs> question <laughs> that I, I, cause it shook me that question when you asked me last time. And I was like, why did that question bother me so much? Why couldn't I get it? Like, what Mm. was, and I was like, am I a know-it-all? Do I think I have to always be right? But no, I have a fear that definitely comes from good old healthy childhood trauma Mm -hmm. of being wrong. And so that information does not get processed in my brain, I think, in the same way that it should. I think that's super relatable. Cindy Robinson, thank you again for being back on the Late Learner Podcast. As always, it's a pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Big thanks again to Cindy Robinson for joining us for this thought-provoking conversation on introversion versus extroversion. If you'd like to check out some of the previous episodes with Cindy, especially on the counterintuitive yet highly effective approach on parenting adolescents, ADHD, tough conversations, and so much more. I've linked all of her previous episodes in the show notes, as well as how to contact Cindy for more info. As for you, what would life be like if miracles were happening left and right for you? 
What would you do with the extra energy or money or confidence or time or deeper relationships? Well, I've got a gift for you. It's called the Month of Miracles. Like, for real, it's 31 days of small things that you can do that will make you a magnet for miracles. Go to allisonhair.com forward slash miracles and start calling them in as soon as today. And if you're ready to have someone in the passenger seat with you, helping co-create a plan to help make those miracles happen in your life, I have a few spots open on my calendar where I am offering a free breakthrough call just for you. Listen, nothing changes until you do something differently. So let's talk. Go to allisonhair.com forward slash schedule. And of course, I've linked everything in the show notes. As always, I am so grateful for your ears, for your attention, your feedback, your positive reviews, you sharing these episodes in your own circles, and even having your own forums discussing some of the topics that we cover here. It means more to me than I could ever express when these ideas are circulated and implemented in your own lives, where you're improving everything, leveling up everything around you. What a gift. And if you found value in today's episode, will you take 30 seconds to leave a written review on your favorite podcast player and share it with a friend or five? Until the next episode, I'll see you on the socials.